Well, good morning, Springwell Church. We're so glad you're here with us this morning. Let's stand to our feet. We have a God who has overcome the grave, who is doing great things in and through us. So let's praise Him with all we have today. Let's put our hands together. I know you all know this, so let's lift our voice. Come, let us worship. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great Oh, here. Oh, here. Oh, here. You conquered. 
many of you ever felt overwhelmed with sin and just felt like you're buried under it? You're in a tomb or a grave. But the great news is, is that Jesus overcame the grave and He is calling you out of that grave and you can run out of that grave today. So sing this song with us. I was buried beneath my shame And who could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Until when? Till I met I was breathing but not alive All my failures I tried to hide All my failures I tried to hide It was my turn Till I met you He called my name You called my name
have a king that has defeated the grave. We are able to sing to our living hope. So let's sing those words this morning. How great the chasm. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night Then through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul The work is finished The end is written Jesus Christ My
I don't think we're done yet. <laughs> Let's go back and sing hallelujah together. I thank you so much for these people in the room, God, that we can come and worship freely together, people of all different backgrounds, ages. We're one this morning, worshiping you, and it's so sweet. And we thank you for your power, the power that you have to break our chains and to carry our burdens and our shame. Because when we feel like we can't carry them anymore, we just surrender them to you. Thank you for being there. And we thank you for your love that's unconditional, that never changes. When the things around us change every day, you stay the same. We praise you for that this morning, and we love you. Amen. You guys can take a seat. I'm so thankful that our hope isn't found in a fable or in a story that's been passed down uh, that may be true, that may not, but our hope is found in a living Savior who is active and at work. And for anyone in here right now who is going, I feel something kind of funny, probably not the caffeine from the coffee that you had before you came in. It's the Holy Spirit moving in this place and uh, excited that you are here to be a part of what God is doing. Thank you so much, especially if you're here for the first time, for taking time out of your weekend to worship with us. And thank you for coming to church today. Um, we're honored that you would make worshiping Springwell, a part of what you're doing this weekend. So thank you so much for being here today. Um, we're going to continue to worship through a time of giving. want to give you an opportunity to prepare for that. But as we do that, I just want to ask a quick question for everyone in the room. Do we have any fans of the game Hide and Seek? Any Hide and Seek fans in here? Yeah, okay. There are a bunch of parents right now. They're like, don't say that phrase. Like, I get it. I've, I have a child myself and who loves to play Hide and Seek, loves it. And um, there was a, a period of time where she would say, every time we would play, she'd say, let's play hide and seek. Daddy, you, I, I, I'm going to hide first. But it's changed. 
and recently it's that daddy you go hide and I don't know exactly what made the switch there when that happened but as I think about that and her saying I want to come find you a lot of us would think that for kids when it comes to that that game that it's all about that the fun is actually going and and hiding but for her what she enjoys the most is actually going and seeking me out there is a verse of scripture and it's actually the words of Jesus himself that's in Matthew 6 and he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I think about how my daughter loves to play that game and wants to actively seek out her dad. And I sit back and I think, how often am I actively and passionately seeking out my heavenly father first? And there's a lot of ways that we can do that, but we get caught up a lot of times in what's going on in our lives, what's happening at home, what's happening at work, things that we see in the news. And so we start actively seeking other things, thinking that it's going to make us feel better. It's going to make everything okay when what we need to do is actively be seeking out God and his kingdom first. And when we do that, everything changes. Our perspective changes. Our eternity changes. Our lives change. And I know that for me, one of the things that a while back I felt compelled about and I felt convicted about that I needed to be doing was seeking God first, especially when it came to my finances and our family's finances and that he needed to be the first priority there. And that's honestly one of the the toughest things to let go of and to seek out on our own first and what we can do with it. And this morning, as we come to worship God during this time, this is a chance for us to actively seek out our father and worship him in this manner. Now, as we go into this time now, if you're here and you're a guest, do not feel obligated to give. We're grateful that you're here as a part of what's going on today. But if you call Springwell home and your life has been radically changed by the good news of Jesus Christ and what's happened in this place, our desire should be to give back to God because we should want to see more of that happen in other people's lives. And this is our chance to seek him first in this area of our life this morning. There are a few different ways that you can give today. You can give at the kiosk that's located in the lobby. You can give online, springwell.org. You can text to the number that's going to come on the, on the screen in just a moment. And you also can give in the buckets that we're about to pass. So if you're on the left-hand side of a row, the left end, if you'll look under your seat, you'll find a black bucket. If you'll pick that up now and just pass it along to the other end, uh, there'll be another opportunity for us to give this morning. Thank you guys again so much for being here to worship with us this morning.
My hero is John Wilson. My hero is my mama, Becky Lynn. My name is Colleen Henson. My hero is my daddy. I suffered with addiction for a long time. In fact, in about three or four days, I'll celebrate actually a year of recovery. And uh, he's uh, been there all the way with me. Uh, he would he would loan me anything I wanted, but if I wanted to ride to get a beer, that wasn't that wasn't in the equation. He wasn't going to do it, so he kept me, you know, from using. Colleen um, took me under her wing at um, school. She's also a teacher at um, Chandler Creek Elementary. And she um, really just kind of like mentored me and made sure I was okay and stuff. Um, she also encouraged me to start a step study through Celebrate Recovery. And I, um, I didn't really know like how much I was gonna need her <laughs> in my life. No matter what life has thrown at her, she's always stand strong in her faith and she's always done everything in her power for us. She is the best mom anybody could really ever have. When he was 52, I was born. And then my parents divorced when I was six years old. So at 58, he became a single dad. My mom didn't want me and daddy took me and he raised me right by himself. So he instilled in me the importance of a father's love here on earth, not just um, about my heavenly daddy, which he told me about him. Anytime that I just really noticed that life was kind of not going in a good direction, she was always there and she always had my back. Um, and she's always been a support system for me and um, she's my hero. I owe, I owe my life to my dad. He was absolutely wonderful and that's why he's my hero. I just never had a real true friend that, that you know, that does what he does for me. I mean, you know, just a great friend. I mean, I thank God for him. I didn't have my deal in world trouble, so he's my hero today. One of the things that I love about the Bible, absolutely. love about the Bible is how God takes ordinary people, just ordinary people, and does the most incredible things. People just like you and me. The last few weeks we've been talking about the, the disciples of Jesus, the 12 disciples, the apostles of Jesus, and uh, honestly, if I were to put you on the spot right now and take a microphone, stick it in your face and say, give me six of them. You, you, probably, you probably miss it, honestly. Certainly, you couldn't name 12. At least, probably most of us could not name 12. And if you couldn't, I don't want you to feel bad. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just saying, you know, you probably don't because there's not a lot of information about them. I mean, not even in the Bible, there's not a lot of information on them. And, it, and it's kind of weird when you think about it. I mean, really, they're, they're considered to be heroes of the faith. These, these 12 men... And one of them was Judas, and we know how bad he messed up. And so 11, 11 of these guys really are given the credit for spreading the gospel throughout the world. And if you're brand new to church, what is the gospel? That's the good news about Jesus. And it's not just the good news about Jesus, but that God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus. Because we're a bunch of sinners, and he wanted a, a relationship with us, but sin messed it up. 
we made some bad choices and we decided that we want to sin rather than being in that fellowship with him. And so he said, I got to fix it. And so we did. We couldn't fix it. We tried to get better, right? Some of you have tried to do better, do be- be better, do better, and you can't. And so Jesus came to the world. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. And Jesus loved the world so much that he went to the cross. And on the cross, he died to pay the penalty for our sin. We're guilty of sin, right? We're guilty. Hello, are we guilty of sin? And if you're not, you're in the wrong church. I'm just saying. We're guilty of sin. And the love of God, you know, and the power of God raised Jesus from the dead. He's alive. That's the good news. And so you would think that such a valuable message, such a life-changing message, you would think would be entrusted to the most gifted of all of God's creation. But it's not. Um, they were just ordinary men, just like us. They weren't recognized for scholarship or any great sophistication. They had no track record of being orators or great theologians. You think God would have picked some of the greatest speakers and the most charismatic of all of creation, right? But that's, he didn't. In fact, some were outsiders as far as their religious establishment went and was concerned. One of those guys was a tax collector. He was a Jew working for the Roman government, and so his own people thought that he, was, you know, that, that he betrayed them. And so he was even considered to be an outcast, and they weren't outstanding because of any natural talents or intellectual abilities. On the contrary, actually, on the very contrary, they were all too prone for mistakes. I mean, have you, have you read any of the Bible at all? Because if you have, you'd go, maybe there's a hope for me. Because, I mean, like, he's a bunch of knuckleheads right here. Peter, who had foot and mouth disease, uh, every time he opened his mouth, he stuck his foot in it, right? I mean, am I not telling the truth? He's the guy who literally denied even knowing Jesus because of fear. Because of fear of what would happen to him, he denied even knowing Jesus three times. And yet God uses a man like, like Peter, a fisherman, to be able to preach the first, his very first sermon in 3,000 people. Something about the message. Something about the power of the message. The power of the resurrection. The love of God radically changed 3,000 souls that day. Wow. But they were all too known for mistakes and misstatements and wrong attitudes and lapses, lapses of faith and, and bitter failure. In fact, even Jesus said they were slow learners in Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 25, he said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe. Are you with me? How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. But in spite of all of this, that's why I've loved this series so much. Maybe it's been more for me than it has been for you because I've always believed that God could do anything with anybody that you don't have. We live in the day of, of super talent, even in the preacher world, you know? I mean, you can go on the Internet, you can you know, watch TV, and there's mega churches with mega pastors who have all of the talent and all of the ability, and they're great archers, and they have, charisma, they have charismatic uh, personalities. They have all of these things going for them, and I think, but, God, but it's, Jesus is the, is the one that changes lives. It's, it's not us. It's not about how good we are. It's about how good He is. Today we're going to finish up the series, and we're going to look at uh, Philip's buddy. Now, if you were here last week, you know who Philip is. He was one of the 12. Uh, it was, he's kind of weird. If, if you look at Philip, I mean, he's, he's the only Jew with a Greek name. And so God picked a guy, picked a Jew with a Greek name, and, 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 his, and his name literally means lover of horses. That's just weird. I mean, you got to admit, you got to scratch your head and think, whoa. I mean, that's, a, that's weird. That's just kind of crazy talk it, it, it is. And so Philip 
they were going to look at his buddy, Nathaniel. And he's, and he's actually listed as Bartholomew in all of the lists, all the four lists in, in the Gospels. Is that clear as muddy water? <laughs> so we're going to talk about Nathaniel, whose actual name was Bartholomew, and you probably wonder, why the name change? I don't know. Actually, I, I do have a little bit of an idea. There are some commentaries out there, and they just, I think, I think when sometimes Christians do this, come on, if you just be honest, a non-Christian asks you a question. It's a good question. You don't know the answer, and you just bull your way through it, don't you? I mean, you just talk a lot, hoping that maybe they'll get bored and move on. You don't really have any solid foundation. And sometimes I read these commentaries, and I want to say, I, I, want, can I, I want to call bull on that, hello, because I don't think you know what you're talking about. And so they just dance around with some big words, and it kind of felt that way when I read some of the commentaries. So they do offer an explanation, but it's a little complicated. It's not a little complicated. It's a lot complicated, and I just said I'm not going to talk about it. There you go. None of the Gospels, none of the Gospels, nor the book of Acts, give us any details about his background, character, or personality, and any details. And, and when I say the book of Acts, uh, you know, sometimes, again, people, even if you've been in church for a long time, it's the book of Acts. It's the Acts of, there you go. It's the Acts of the Apostles. And somebody's going, I didn't know that. been in church my whole life. I didn't know that it was actually the Acts of the Apostles. And so that's why I included the book of Acts. It would be the Acts of the Apostles of which he was one. And there you go. No books have ever been written. There's not a book out there that I could find written about Nathaniel. In fact, to be honest with you, he didn't even give a, give a chapter in a book. Who are we kidding? He doesn't even get honorable mention in a paragraph in a chapter in a book. I mean, he's got nothing really at all. What we do know, though, what we do know, according to John 21, is he came from this town of Cana in Galilee, which is like short walking distance from Nazareth. We're going to talk about Nazareth in a, in a minute. It's a big deal. Nazareth is a really big deal. What we do know is he, he was brought to Jesus by Philip. And this is so cool. He was brought to Philip. Um, he was brought to Jesus by Philip. And, and, and here's the thing. Every time that you look and you see Philip's name, there's always Nathaniel or maybe it's Bartholomew. And now you know. You'll go, oh, how, hello, they're the same person. Well, they are. And again, I'm going to labor on it today, but the power of community, the power of relationships, the power of, of loving the people that we're closest to and, and that we earn the right over time. Not because we're perfect, mostly because we're imperfect, but those people in our lives see that through our imperfections that God really is real, and that He's merciful, and that He's gracious, and that He's good. So the power of relationship, these two guys are linked together, and they must have been buddies. Somehow they must have been buddies. And so let's jump in and look at what these passages actually do tell us and see what we can learn about old Bartholomew, old Bart, Nathaniel. John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Hey, Philip. He went and looked for Philip, remember? And all, all the disciples, he went to look for Philip. Then he says, Hey, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel. And the thing of it is, we don't know exactly. I did try to study. How were they connected? Some people believe that maybe they were fishing buddies. If you really want to look at maybe what his, his deal in life is, what his call in life is, what he did before he found Jesus, some people just would, they didn't know what else to say. They would say he was a merchant. I guess that, you could be a fisherman. <laughs> there you go. We don't really 
know exactly what it is. Or maybe it was a, some type of professional connection. Maybe it was a family connection. We don't really know. But what we do know is that as soon as Philip was found by Jesus, and as soon as Philip recognized that Jesus, he is exactly the one that we've been looking for, he goes and he finds his, he goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one that, that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. And I just think it's, it's really sweet. There, there's something important to pick up here, and that's it, that Nate was a seeker. Nate, Nate was a seeker. He knew that, he was, that there was more. Are you with me? But not, that he, not just that he was a seeker, but that he knew where to go and look for the thing that he was looking for. I don't know. Maybe, maybe for Nate. Maybe Nathaniel was like me. Maybe not. Okay, he was an apostle. He was a disciple. I'm sure like he's way up here and I'm way down here at the bottom somewhere, I guess. In my mind, I would see it that way. But I wonder, have you ever thought, man, I know the Old Testament. I know the sacrificial thing. We offer a lamb. But I need, I need more than just a lamb to, as a sacrifice for my sin every year. I need, I need one time the lamb of God. That's what I need. I'm, I'm desperate. And so he knew where to look. And he knew where to look because at least according to all the really smart guys, all the scholars, that he was probably raised in a very solid Jewish family that taught him all about the Messiah. So he knew where to look in the Old Testament for the clues as to whether or not this would actually be the Messiah. And so can I just, like, say that it's our job as a church. It's our job as a church to partner with you as parents to raise your kids. Let me make, let me make really crystal clear on this. Our job is to partner with you. It's not to raise your kids for you. It's to partner with you as you raise your kids. And we do all kinds of things here. We're getting better at it all the time. I mean, family ministry is, is, is changing. There, there are breakfasts for parents, and there's information that we, that we will give. There's counseling. We'll do anything and everything that we can to walk beside you as a parent, to help you know how to navigate the difficulties of, of, of raising a teenager. Raising a teenager, they say, has always been hard work, but I believe it's harder today than it's ever been before. And so our job is to partner with you, but your job is to raise your kids. That's your job, not ours. You spend more time with them every week than we do. We only get them for a small amount of time. And so you can't put all of the pressure on us. It's our responsibility. And if your kids don't know Jesus, it's our fault. That's not true. In fact, I got to thinking this week, I thought, you know what, if parents, I wonder what it would look like if parents spent as much time Really, teaching their kids the Bible. I, and that's one thing. It's one thing to sit down and do a devotion with them every night, you know, to have a family quiet time and a family devotional and you get them all together and you open up the Bible maybe or, or you take a devotional. That's really cool when you read through it. But I'm talking about this more than that. One of the things that Karen and I always thought was that, you know what, it's not just about teaching them a passage of Scripture, but it's about showing them how this verse actually is fleshed out in everyday living. So like when they're struggling at school, they're struggling with their friends, they're not doing well in school, their grades aren't good. All of those pressures that teenagers go, go through trying to, to fit in, to try to be popular, to try to, to be in the in crowd, to find their self-esteem. One of the things that we thought was valuable is to be able to say, this is how Scripture actually applies to everyday life and living. So I got to thinking, I wonder what it would be like if you spent as much time as you do taking your kids to soccer practice or how many Saturdays do you do those games right travel ball all those things that parents actually and I've talked to parents and I actually get it 
I actually do. I really do understand when parents look at me. My only child's hope for a college degree is we can't afford it. Our family cannot afford it. Our only hope for that child is for that child to be able to get some kind of scholarship. And, and so they're really good at this sport. We hope that that sport really does it for them. and They get a free ride to school. But listen, what if your kids grow up and never know who Jesus is? What if they do? What if, what's even worse, what if they only grow up to hear him talked about in church but never see what it's like to actually have a relationship with him every day of the week? What if, what if you spend as much time teaching your kids as you do taking them to whatever? And if you did, maybe we would have more Nathaniels. Because let me just tell you something, you're... Your child is going to come to a place in their life where they're going to ask questions. And you should embrace those questions. Let me just say, don't tell them, don't ask. Don't just look at them and say, well, you just got to have faith. Don't give them that kind of junk. Listen, allow them to, to expand their minds, to have their questions asked. But that you can be there to help them navigate what real life looks like. They need a foundation. You don't want them to be 18 and hearing for the first time that there's another religion and there's all this other stuff at a college by a professor, a guy who has a Ph.D., and now they put more stock in him than they do you because they never really heard much from you. And I actually wrote this, and this was my next sentence after I, I said, wow, that sounded kind of harsh. I didn't mean for it to. I wasn't trying to be mean. But I do hope it will cause parents to stop and to think about their time spent with their kids. And maybe even on the way to soccer practice, on the way to soccer practice, wherever, whatever practice thing you're going to, just maybe on the way there's some intentionality with the moments spent so that they have a solid foundation for one day when they question. So it says, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law. I love this. I just, I just think this is so good. About whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, you're, you know, you got your spiritual eyes on, right? You get your church lens on. It really, it's like, if you look at the original language, it's like Philip saying, you're never going to believe this. I mean, you are never going to believe this, but I found the Messiah. And, you know, the son of Joseph, uh, y'all don't think that's funny at all, but I thought it was real funny. Do you, the son of Joseph of Nazareth? You're never going to believe this. That's who it is. Well, Nathaniel must have been really surprised because here's what he said. He said, Nazareth, can anything good? Come out of Nazareth? It's almost like Greer, right? Greer? The Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world? Come out of Greer? Yeah. So why was Daniel so, so skeptical? Well, it's, it's because Nazareth is, is considered a very insignificant kind of place, just from a physical sense. It was a relatively isolated village in the time of Jesus, and I don't know who keeps records of these kinds of things, but they said with a population of less than 200 people. And I read, I actually read that even with such small numbers, Nazareth would still have been considered to be overpopulated. Why? From a physical sense, why? Because there was a shortage of natural resources. I mean, water was in short supply. The water they had was not good. 
And so because of that, there was all kinds of disease. I mean, only poor people live there. And if you've never really been to a third world country, it's hard for you to get your brain around that. I remember going to Guatemala my first year and meeting a little girl named Julie. You've, you've probably heard me tell this story before. And, and so I remember this, going back the second year, I thought, gee, I wonder if Julie will still be there. I thought it was fair. You're looking at me like, well, that's not stupid. That's fair. So I went back the, the second year, the third year. I'm, again, I'm on the planet. Gee, I'm so excited. I wonder, I wonder if I'll see Julie. And then it occurred to me, where is Julie going? She's probably never traveled more than two or three miles away from her home. Probably never will. Why? Because she's poor. She doesn't have a car. There's not transportation. She's not like going to say, gee, I think I'll move to Guatemala City and maybe see if I can get me a college degree. That's not, that's not anything that would be in her scope. It's, it's completely outside, and that's exactly what it is here. This is only poor people live there, and they were trapped. They were trapped. There was nothing they could do. There was, there was tons of disease and sickness. You did not want to be from Nazareth. And that's just the physical sense. Spiritually, it was insignificant as well. I mean, it's not mentioned one single time in the Old Testament. There's no prophecy linking the Messiah with Galilee, much less Nazareth. And it's not known for great minds and great heroes. It's just not. Nothing, nothing good, nothing great was ever expected to come out of Nazareth. And, and so you can kind of understand where he's coming from. Oh, oh, Nate's thinking, dude, are you kidding me? Like Nazareth? Really? I mean, scripturally, physically, it's a, it's a nothing place. Nobody wants to be from there. Can anything good come from there? The assumption is no. I, I totally get that attitude. I do. I've had it myself on more than one occasion over the years. I found myself thinking, you know, she's always negative. I know what she's going to say. Hello. Y'all y'all been there? He won't understand. He never does. He never will. He never has. I don't know why he, won't, why he would now. It's always been that way. It'll never get any better. Nothing good has ever come out of a situation like that. Nothing's good going to come out of this situation. Have you ever found yourself in that kind of a mindset? Maybe you don't speak it out loud, but that kind of mindset, those thoughts are rattling around in your head. Or maybe for some of you, it's how we look at our own lives sometimes. Maybe that we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, you know what, maybe it's a part of our lives and we say, you know what, There's, maybe it's a secret that you've carried for years. Maybe it's an addiction that nobody else knows about but you. Maybe it's that private thing that you do on the Internet that nobody knows but you know. And maybe you struggle with it for years. And maybe you found yourself looking in the mirror saying, you know what? You're never going to change. You've always struggled with. You always will. I mean, how many times you get up on a Monday morning and start a diet? Hello? And by Monday at lunch, you did really good at breakfast. Or maybe, maybe you know what? Maybe you, did, maybe you made it to the weekend, but then Friday got you, right? And so there was Friday, there was a thing, there was a thing that you attended, it was taking your, your spouse out to eat, it was something but tripped you up, and have you ever found yourself looking in the mirror saying, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to be fat for the rest of my life, there's no hope for me. Yeah. Those thoughts that rattle around in our head. I love this, I love what Philip said, I love what Philip said. He just says, come and see. Come and see. 
I mean, he didn't try to argue with him. He didn't try to, you know, say, okay, okay, I, you've, you've been in the law of, of Moses. Let's go back. Let's, let's dig into the Word. You know, it's, let's, let's, let me get, let's really break down exactly everything that's said here. And technically, Jesus was born in, right? He didn't do that. So I wonder if he was thinking, I know it's going to be hard to believe. I know it's going to be hard to believe. Just come and see. There's not, I don't have to argue with you. I, I love that what people have done historically here at Springwells, they, they just look at their friends and say, just, I know, just come and see. I've been to church. i tried church. I know. Springwells different. I don't know exactly what that means. But it's different. And, so, and they'll say, just come see. And that's why for me it's so important when we're, you know, we're in, in worship and, and God is good and you just feel and sense his presence. That's why it's so important to me that sometimes we just stop because it's not about a preacher. It's not about the talent of a man. It's about the presence of God. And I believe that when people show up here on a Sunday morning, that's what you're looking for, to come face-to-face with the Savior. Come and see. That's what people have said for years. Just come and see. That's what, that's what he says. So old Nate gets up to follow Philip and not expecting anything too special. And immediately, immediately here's what Jesus says. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Wow. You're thinking, what does that mean? It's a really high compliment. It's, it's a really, really high compliment. Bottom line, here's what he's saying. I know you're not, I know you're not perfect. I know, I know you're not perfect, but you know what? you're in the game. You're in the hunt. Your heart's right. You're not perfect. You ain't got it right yet. You're still seeking. You're still looking. You're desperately seeking. But here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that I recognize your heart, and your heart is good. You're a true Israelite who seeks a relationship with his God. He could have said, I know you. (laughs) I know you. You're the guy who said nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Well, look at me now. I mean, he could have said that. He could have said, well, because you doubted, because you were confused. Depart from me. He could have done one of those things, but he didn't. The issue is what Jesus sees in his heart. This is another great question. Here's what Nathaniel says. I like this. How do you know me? And really, in the language, the original language, here's what he's saying. You don't know me. So why would you flatter me? Why would you flatter me with such complimentary type words? You don't know me at all. We've never met. You don't know anything about me. And yet you would look at me. I mean, is this like, you know, when your kids, Dad, I love you. What do you want? Right? I mean, you know people like that. They come to you. They, they pay you a compliment. And you know you're looking. Ah, you, you're coming. You, there's something in the back door here. So maybe, I don't know, maybe Nathaniel's thinking, are you just another one of those Charismatic leader types says, how do, you, how do you know me? Why are you flattering me? Jesus answered. And this is a game changer right here. He said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Uh-huh. That's a game changer right there. You don't think so? Like, so like if after the service I walked up to you and I said, ha, I called you by name. You said, you don't know me. But you probably think, oh, somebody told him. I saw you last week when you were sitting under the 
TV, watching, I don't know. I just, and, and, but you know that you were home by yourself. Nobody in the world knew. And would I have your attention? You're doggone right I would. This is a really, really big deal. So maybe Nathaniel's thinking, well, how does he know? Somebody told him. There was that woman, there was that old woman with the water jar. And she, no, nah, it wasn't her. She ain't that smart. It wasn't her. Maybe he's thinking, it was a family member. And then say, you know what, it wasn't anybody. I mean, literally, I, I, nobody would know this. This is, a, this is a game changer. His family didn't know. Nobody saw me. And this man knows something about me that nobody else in the world could possibly have known. I and mean, just so you know, when Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree, he's doing a lot more than just pointing to Nathaniel's physical location. And the shade of the old fig tree was where people would go to reflect and relax and reflect and meditate on their relationship with God. In fact, if you go back and look, these poor people would only, obviously, often only have a, a one-room house. And so in the hotter part of the day, they would often have planted a fig tree outside, just outside of that little one-room house. And I can picture that. Like I've, all these years I've been to Guatemala, I can see that little shack. You know what I mean? That little stick of a hut and, and plastic that maybe surrounds or whatever else they could get to kind of enclose it. That little one-room shack with a dirt floor. And I kind of have that picture in my head. And, and there's that fig tree right outside. And so oftentimes what they would do is they would go outside under that fig tree in the shade cool off and to think about their relationship with God. So Jesus not only saw his location, but he saw his heart. In other words, he was taught right when he was a kid, right? I told you that. He was brought up in a Jewish family and they taught him scripture, but it was more than that. See, it was, it was more than that. It was for him to come to his own when he said, you know what, I need he was interested in his relationship with God, not, not his mama and daddy's relationship with God. And I believe that every child should come to that place in their own, in their own walk when they say, you know what, this, this is not about mama and daddy's religion. It's about my relationship with God. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. Whoa. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I told you that fig tree thing was a big deal. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than this. And so this is just his way of saying, you know what? Listen, you ain't seen nothing yet. Then he added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's saying, listen, in a metaphoric, symbolic way, he's saying, listen, you're going to see miracle stuff. You're going to see supernatural stuff that most people crave to see. And because you have believed with such little information, simply being in my presence, you recognize who I am. I'm telling you that you're going to be exposed to the most incredible stuff that any human being has ever seen. And you'll understand it. Of all the apostles, Nathaniel seems to be the one guy who gained the most from his time with Jesus. Because at the very outset, he knew exactly who he was. One commentator said it like this, Nathaniel enjoyed the fullest and richest and most complete blessing from his time with Jesus. And he finishes it by saying this, Judas got nothing. 
too, when I learned, I learned that of all of the disciples, that Nathaniel and Judas were probably the most educated of the twelve. So these aren't idiots. Maybe ordinary, but they weren't stupid. Both of these men spent the exact same amount of time with Jesus. Both listened to Jesus as he taught. Both saw Jesus work miracles and heal the blind and raise the dead and do some phenomenal things. But Nathaniel was the only one who actually got it. Sad, but true. Again, according to the scholars, according to the theologians, he spent most of his time as a missionary to Asia Minor. And most scholars agree that he was thrashed to death with a whip. And a quote, where his flesh was literally torn to shreds. Wow. If it wasn't real, if what he experienced wasn't real, then you got to believe that somewhere, maybe with the first lash, somewhere he would have stopped and said, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. I know I said, but now that I think about it, you know, like, can anything really good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> you know, like, I, I, hey, man, I'm just, I was just messing with y'all. I mean, I said Jesus was the Son of God, but I didn't, like, really mean it. Anybody with their right mind, maybe not the first, maybe it was the second or third, somewhere you would, have, you would, you would think that it would cross his mind. They're not going to stop till I'm dead. And crucifixion is bad, but to be thrashed with a whip with your flesh torn into shreds until you die? be real a genuine relationship so what made him so special what made him so special that Jesus would call him an apostle what made him so special that Jesus would say you're going to see heaven come down on me angels and supernatural power and you're going to see it and you're going to understand it what what is it what made him so special it was his humility and faith to believe that God can do anything that even Something good, like the Savior of the world, could come out of a place that nobody wanted to be from. A place like Nazareth. So as a follower of Jesus, let me ask you this question. What has your time with Jesus produced? What's it produced? Has it produced intimacy? Has it, has it produced a relationship that is second to none and, and that you long for? I, there was a lady in the first service, and she told me this morning, she says, man, I, I, look, I can't wait to get up every morning. I can't wait to get up every morning and have my coffee and sit down and, and have my time with Jesus. And I said, I, I, I know how you feel. I know what it's like to get up in the morning. Fix your coffee first, of course. Coffee, then Jesus. Jesus made the coffee. Don't, don't be critical of me. Jesus made the coffee, and it wakes me up. I mean, but that time where you, you long to be with him, not because it's a religious moment, because it's about a relationship that's real. It's real. Jesus is real. He's incredible. Is that how you would describe your relationship with Jesus, or are you just one of those Christians? He's one of those Christians that goes to church every now and again. Hey, but 
money in the bucket on occasion. Maybe even serves. It's not what I'm talking about. What has your time spent with Jesus produced? If you're sitting here this morning and you really can't think of anything, then maybe you just want to stop right now and just, and just bow your head and say, God, I don't want to miss it. I don't want, I don't want to be like Judas. I don't want to miss it. I want to make the most of my time. Not just learning facts, but learning about you. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus. I just want you to know that he's real. He's absolutely real. And maybe you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, I, you know, I, kind of, I think he is. I mean, I like feel this thing. And it's, it's not music. It's not anything special. It's not great preaching. It's not great music. It's, it's Jesus right here in the form of the Holy Spirit, up front and personal with you. And he's whispering in your ear right now when he's saying, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I love you. I'm crazy about you. And I proved it. Not just words on a page. I gave my life. I was crucified on a cross. Hung naked before the world. I was mocked and ridiculed and made fun of. And when I drew my last physical breath here on earth, they thought they had won. But they didn't. On the third day, I was raised from the dead. and I'm here, present with you right now. And I want you to know that when I died on the cross, I did it for you to pay the penalty for your sin. I, I love you. I'm crazy about you. you got sin in your life and nobody's perfect but you got a seeking heart and I can, I can see and recognize that seeker's heart and, and I'm here right now. I would say the same thing to you that Philip said to Nathaniel. Just come and see. For those of you that would say, I do, I see. I'm not a follower but I want to be. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed. Maybe, you know, I can't tell you exactly what to pray. I can give you something maybe to follow because it's not about you repeating the words of a pastor. It's about the attitude of your heart and that you're just ready to believe, to believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is and that you're ready. You're ready right now to, by faith, accept that it's true and to surrender your life to him, to ask for forgiveness for your sin in a new relationship with God that you've never dreamed possible. If that's you, maybe you'd say something like this. Again, just quietly right there in your seat. Maybe you would just say, wow, God, thank you for showing up. Thank you for your presence right now. The presence that I feel. I know you're real. Thank you. And, and thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for that. For being put to death to pay the price for my sin. Thank you. And I know you're alive. I know you're alive. I, I feel something right now inside of me. And I thank you for your presence and for your power. And I just want to give you my life to the best of my ability. And I want to spend the rest of my life following you. Every head still bowed and every eye still closed. You just prayed that prayer all over this congregation this morning, would you just slip up your hand, slip it up, slip it up high, if you just prayed that prayer. Wow. Thank you. Someone else? Yeah, cool. 
God, you're amazing. I tell you that every day. That no one compares to you, God. Absolutely no one. There's no God. There's nothing. You're awesome. You created the stars. Every galaxy that's known, even the ones that we don't know. You know every star in every galaxy and you know them all by name. That's the God that I serve. That's who you are. And God, in spite of all of that, you know me and you know my name. In the name of every person here and you and you love us so much. God, for that we're grateful. And Lord, we're grateful that you can take ordinary people like us and do some extraordinary things. Lord, we love you. And it's in your sweet name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, we've really enjoyed the series, No Ordinary Hero. We got to kick off the series with this song, and we thought it'd be really fun to finish with it. So let's all stand and put our hands together today.